I opened the doors up, and then all the papers blew off the piano. <laughs> so, priorities. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, welcome here. Good morning. Um, I said this before, but my name is Dana, and um, I'm one of the pastors. And if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, because it was kind of a crazy morning. There was a breaker out, and, and a couple of uh, folks we, we really needed weren't here right away. And, and so it was a big, we had a lot of things. But point is, if I haven't met you, I'd love to meet you. Now my papers are going to blow. I'm going to put it like this. Okay, there we go. Um, so I was saying this in announcements. I have been having a whole bunch of meetings at my house in the last little while of meetings about small groups and children's ministry. And um, I have them at my house partly because I think it's a nice casual atmosphere, but also partly because I just moved and people are curious about what my house looks like. They're kind of nosy and I feel like I'll take that. I think it makes attendance better at the meetings. There's no reason not to take advantage of knowing your audience. So um, anyway, so last week we had this meeting, and there were about 10 people around the room, and it was a great meeting. We are talking about small groups, and, um, and I, was, I was asking this question, what does it take to make, what, what makes a good small group leader? And someone said, you know, I just, I find the word leader a little bit, challenging. Like I really like to think about a facilitator because facilitators have to draw out the group and open people up. And that is really true. It's really good perspective. And then I said, you know, I appreciate that. And for me, the word leader is quite important because I think it highlights the amount of responsibility that that person has to carry. And that started a very fun and interesting conversation about all of the kinds of words that we could use to describe that role. And we talked about having a coach and having a guide and having a shepherd or a pastor and like a lot of different words. Gosh, (laughs) a lot of different parents who have to try to sort out whether it's their kid crying. Okay. Um, (laughs) Anyway, all of those words are true. Right, And they all illustrate just a slightly different facet of the complexity of this role of being a small group leader. And the truth is we probably need all those words, or at least we need to remember to like list them all every once in a while so that we can keep that complexity in our minds. <clears throat> well, there are four different biographies of Jesus, and um, in the Bible, the, the first one that we find is written by a man named Matthew. And in the 13th chapter of that biography, Matthew records this series of eight stories that Jesus used to talk about the kingdom of heaven. And most scholars who study this stuff a lot will say, you know, chances are Jesus didn't tell those eight stories just one right after the other. He probably told them over a period of time in different places to different crowds. But then when Matthew wrote his biography, he gathered them all together, listed them in the same place so that they'd be easier for us to find. (laughs) I think, thank you, (laughs) because they were really easy to find. Um, So what I find really interesting about that chapter is how many different stories Jesus uses to talk about the kingdom of heaven, how many different images he has. It turns out that the kingdom of heaven is so utterly different from anything else we can imagine, that it can't ever be explained using just one picture. 
And I think, that makes sense, right? We needed eight or ten different words to describe a small group leader. So how do we even begin to describe the kingdom of heaven? More than that, Jesus doesn't want to just tell people what the kingdom of heaven is like. He doesn't just lay it out clearly. And I know that that's confusing and sometimes it feels disconcerting. But in this chapter of Matthew, Matthew tells us that Jesus never taught the crowds without using a parable, without using a story. Parable is just a fancy word for story. And he would explain things more clearly later to his disciples, to the little group of people who were following him. But when he was talking to the crowd, he always used a story. Why? Because not everybody in the crowd was ready for the truth about the kingdom of heaven. Do you know, okay, you guys can help me because I couldn't remember the name of this movie. You know that movie where Tom Cruise is like a young lawyer and he's he's questioning Jack Nicholson on the stand. He goes, I want the truth. And Jack Nicholson says, you can't handle the truth. What is that? Pardon? A few good men. Okay. You can't handle the truth. Well, Jesus doesn't yell it, but that's kind of what's happening here, right? Lots of people, lots of people are listening to Jesus, but not all of them are ready for what he's really saying. And he doesn't want them to know until they are ready. He doesn't want to give them the weight of that knowledge until they're ready. So instead, he wraps up the truth about the kingdom of heaven in these inconspicuous little stories, usually about gardening, and then he just tosses them out there to the masses. It's a brilliant teaching strategy because it sifts out in the crowd who's ready to hear more and who's not. And those who aren't are totally free. No judgment, no pressure to just smile and nod and walk away. right? And the people who are ready, when you read these stories, they tend to come and find Jesus and ask him afterwards. And so that use of parables isn't just interesting It's also an extra layer of responsibility for me as a teacher because if that's what Jesus used parables for, to sift out who was ready and who wasn't, then it's really important that I teach in line with that philosophy, right? I can't just come up and lay everything out step by step up here if that's not what Jesus would have done. I have to leave room for the parables to work in us, to work their magic, which often means leaving room for questions. And so that's where we're going to start today. Um, Olin, can you come and move this microphone up? Okay. Olin is going to put a microphone right here in the center aisle. Get excited, everybody. This is a highly participatory service for about five minutes. Okay. Um, (laughs) Okay. Okay, so we're going to put this microphone up, and I'm going to read the parable twice, and then you're going to ask all of the questions that you have about this parable. Now, it's a little bit more work for you because you have to think of a question, and you have to walk up to the middle, but the microphone helps people who are listening on the podcast know what you're saying, and a lot of you spent a year in Bible studies with me, and I know that you know how to ask questions at the beginning, so... Uh, here's what I want you to do. 
I want you to put out of your mind everything that you think you know about the parable of, of the mustard seed. I, just, I want you to just push it off to the side. I want you to pretend that this is a story that you're hearing for the very first time. Okay? And then we're going to ask all the questions. So I'm going to read it twice. Here we go. You ready? Okay. He put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Okay. I'm going to read it for you one more time. You can close your eyes if you want. I want you to picture yourself on the edge of the sea. That's where the story tells us Jesus was telling this. And imagine him speaking this parable out from a boat. Think of your questions. Here we go. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all the seeds. But when it has grown... It is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Okay. Now, I want you to come up to the microphone and ask me your questions. Don't think I can't wait for a long time. I can wait. I'm very patient. Very patient. What do you want to know? If you were hearing this for the first time, what would you ask about? Way to go, Sherry. Okay. What would you want to know? Where where is this kingdom of heaven? Okay, yeah. Where is the kingdom of heaven? Yes. Good. Two at a time. How long does it take to grow? Ooh, good question. That's great. (laughs) is it small or is it big because that is unclear on that oh is the kingdom small or big oh yeah okay that's great right yeah it changes in here okay that's great yeah it's because amara wants to ask a question (laughs) okay other questions what do you what do you want to know I know you've got them. Come on up. It's going to help us later. What do the birds have to do with anything? Okay, what are the birds even about? Great. And who is sowing the mustard seed? Yeah, who, who is this? The, what does it say? Someone. It's someone. Yeah, good. Who, who is that? And the field, is it empty or is it already planted with something? What is the field in this That's situation? great. What's the field in this parable? What does that represent? That God created the kingdom of heaven who created the seed. <laughs> and a mic drop. <laughs> okay, that was great. Okay. Where's that seed from? Anything else? Nice, nice and loud. Oh, so good. How many years does a seed take to grow? Yeah, how long does that take to grow? How many years does that take? Go for it, Cameron. 
How many nutrients does that tiny seed even need? How many what? Does it nutrients does a tiny how seed need? How much does it, what does that seed need to grow? Okay, good. All right. <laughs> Why is it important that the seed is the smallest of the seeds but grows to the largest of the plants? I know. It's not just that it's a small seed, but the smallest seed. Why is that important? And the largest. Go ahead, Carrie Lynn. I'm just curious if eventually the um, leaves and branches on this tree die, and then do they come back again? Is it a seasonal tree? You know, I, yeah, I used to live in Halifax, and when I lived in Halifax and I taught uh, uh, like the stories about Jesus being in the boat, on the water, fishing. Man, they had technical questions that I didn't know. <laughs> Just like that. Is it a seasonal tree? Does it die later? I don't know. Okay, that's great. <laughs> okay, that's really good. They're really good questions, and I've written them down here. I, um, so I'm going to come back to those in a bit. But I realized something as I was preparing the sermon, which is this. We don't really get mustard seed. Like, mustard seed feels like a pretty neutral seed to us, right? I feel like, okay, a mustard seed, no problem. But that's not what it felt like to the original listeners. So I have been working on an alternative parable. This is a 100% unique original parable that I have made for you. Are you excited? Okay. And I think it's going to trigger the same, the right kind of feeling in us, so I'm going to share it with you. First of all, my dad, Mike, some of you met him a couple of weeks ago. Mike is, a, is very, very proud of his lawn. <clears throat> I asked him to send me a few pictures. So um, my whole life, my dad's lawn has been this beautiful emerald green color all summer long. He waters, and he fertilizes, and he digs crabgrass and weeds, and he is amazing, and the lawn is amazing. He sent me a lot of pictures. He was a little embarrassed because apparently it's drying out a tiny bit right now in the middle of the summer, so these pictures are from spring because he didn't want me to show you the summer pictures. So these are the good pictures. These are the, This is the, the beautiful lawn. So this lawn is going to be the context of this brand new parable that I have for you, okay? This is the context, Mike Sproul's lawn. And we're going to do the very same thing. So as you have a question, come on up to the microphone, you can make a line, okay? So I'm going to tell you the parable twice, and then we're going to take some questions. Ready? The kingdom of heaven is like a soft, fluffy, white dandelion that Mike Sproul took and blew into his lawn. It has just teeny, tiny seeds. But when they've dispersed and grown, year after year, they cover the entire lawn with brilliant yellow flowers. And flocks of birds come and feast on their seeds. Okay. Start to let those questions percolate. Start to come up to the microphone. I'm going to read it for you one more time. Get ready. You can close your eyes to really feel this parable if you want. The kingdom of heaven is like a soft, 
fluffy white dandelion that Mike Sproul took and blew into his lawn. It has just teeny tiny seeds, but when they've dispersed and grown year after year, they cover the entire lawn with brilliant yellow flowers and flocks of birds come and feast on their seeds. So, what do you want to know? What do you want to ask? Do that. <laughs> okay, ask it. Can you ask it one more time so it gets into the microphone? Yeah. Why on earth did Mike Sproul do that? <laughs> you know, he is listening to this podcast asking himself the very same thing. Okay, why on earth would he do that? Good, good, good. Other questions? Why would he want to feed the birds with them? Sure. Did he, did he want to feed the birds? Was that the reason? Why would he want to feed the birds? Who cares about the birds? <laughs> Other questions? I mean, that first question is really what gets us, isn't it? Oh, okay, we got one more. Let's see. What happens to his grass and his lawn? I know. What happens to the lawn? It took 31 years for the lawn to be that nice. What happens to the lawn after this? What do his neighbors think? You know, the neighbors are all going to be getting together for a party at my mom and dad's to hear this. So that is fantastic. What do the neighbors think? Go ahead, Cameron. Are you sure that flocks of birds are feasting on the seeds? It's a big lawn. There's a lot of dandelion seeds. (laughs) Okay, those are great questions. Thank you so much. It's way more jarring, isn't it, than the other parable? Like thinking about all those dandelion fluffs being sewn into the perfectly manicured lawn. Okay, that feeling is exactly how the crowd felt when they were listening to this parable of the mustard seed. It's not a neutral seed. Here's the thing about mustard seed. Mustard is a seriously invasive weed. We're talking about wild mustard. It's not the cultivated kind of mustard. And so here's a picture that Val took when she was in Israel. She sent it to me. So mustard, you can see all those little seeds in there. It's these teeny, tiny black seeds. um, And they're way smaller than the yellow cultivated mustard seeds that we see today. Okay, so tiny little black seeds. And it has a super fast growing cycle. So When one of those seeds hits the dirt, that thing germinates and starts to grow within a day. And when it grows into a shrub, it gets to be like three meters high, and it produces hundreds, maybe thousands of these teeny tiny seed pods. Those are the seed pods. And the seed pods dry out, and it's in the Middle East, so they dry out fast. And then they start popping. Have you ever experienced this? I was in PEI a few summers ago for holidays, and I stopped at the side of the road to cut some lupin, which is this flower. It has, like, tons of little seed pods. And I wanted some for my garden, so I cut them when the pods were dry, put them in the trunk. I'm driving along, and I start to hear this weird, like, this little, like, click, 
click, click, and I am like panicking a little bit. Like I don't know for sure is my car about to fall to pieces because that is my ongoing fear, or is it like have I accidentally picked up one of those ferocious PEI rattlesnakes? Like I don't know what's going on. Well, it turns out the lupin pods had dried out so much that the pods were just cracking on their own and the seeds were getting scattered all over my car. What a mess. That's what happens with mustard. The pods dry out and then they crack. Like if someone brushes against them or the wind blows through that bush, they just snap open and dozens of seeds land in the ground. And all of those seeds germinate in a day. Yikes. So if we go back to some of our questions from before, was it really the smallest seed? Right? Why do they use the smallest seed? Well, maybe, maybe not. It certainly was way smaller than the mustard seeds that we see today. And they used it proverbially. People would say, oh, it's as small as a mustard seed, the way that we would say, oh, it's as small as a speck of dust. So it was used to mean the tiniest thing you can imagine. Does it really become the greatest of all shrubs? Really the biggest shrub or a tree? Well, I don't know. But three meters high in a field that's been planted for agriculture, that's pretty high, right? Like when was the last time even your corn, that's the highest thing in a garden, does your corn reach three meters high? I don't think so, right? I hope not. Like, <laughs> so no matter what you're growing, this thing that's three meters high is really high above everything else. And it would seem like a tree. Is a mustard seed or a dandelion, for that matter, uh, <laughs> is it good for the garden? No. No, absolutely not. Not even close. Once it's in there, it's impossible to get rid of. I mean, if he wanted to, if he really wanted to, and if it was all that he did, Mike Sproul, my dad, could technically dig all the dandelions out of the ground, out of his lawn, one by one. Right? And so the comparison is probably more accurate if they were like, like super fast cycling dandelions where every time they grew to maturity and released their seed like within a couple of days. And so just thousands were being generated every time you plucked 10 out. There'd just be no way to keep on top of it. That's what wild mustard is like. And you know what farmers did if they got wild mustard in their field? They burnt it. They just set it on fire and burnt it. Or they just abandoned that garden and moved down the block and started a new one. That was the way that you could deal with it because you couldn't get it out. And that is what makes this story so jarring, so interesting, because Jesus is comparing the kingdom of heaven to a wild, invasive superweed. We don't usually like that. We don't think about him using these images that we consider bad to explain the kingdom of heaven, but here it is. And so then, the best question of all, it was, I think it was uh, the very first one that maybe Val asked, why on earth would Mike Sproul do that? 
Why would he blow dandelions into his garden? Did that person mean to plant the seed in the garden? Was it intentional? Well, actually, we don't even have to guess. We don't get the luxury of saying, probably not. He probably made a mistake. We have to look at the scripture. And the scripture says, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. There's no room for misunderstanding. It doesn't say it was a mistake. It doesn't say someone else threw it in when he wasn't looking. It doesn't say it fell out of his pocket because there's a hole in the bottom. He deliberately took it and sowed it in his own field on purpose. And it grew and became the greatest of shrubs, a tree even, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. The dream team is going to come through the aisles, and they're going to pass out some dishes of mustard seeds. And I want you to take just one. It's kind of hard to take just one because they're really finicky, but do your best. Take one seed, hold it in your hand. There we go. And (laughs) it is kind of hard. Now, these are the much, much larger domesticated or cultivated yellow mustard seeds. But hold that single solitary seed in your hand and think about your own garden or your own field. Think about this tiny seed having the power to completely overturn it, being responsible for ruining your whole field. And while you're thinking about that, I want to talk to you about my favorite place in Creston. Do you know what it is? Do you want to guess? It's Gleaners. Okay, now, if you're just visiting town, uh, you should stay till Tuesday so you can go. And if you're listening on the podcast, I want to just explain. Gleaners is this magical place in Creston. It, it is our food bank. That's one part. And it runs two amazing thrift stores. And when it's open, which is only three times a week, the entire town of Creston descends on Gleaners, walks through multiple times, securing the most amazing things for their homes. Okay. Those two little thrift stores allow the Gleaners Food Bank to be self-funded. Did you know that? That Gleaners doesn't get any funding from anywhere else. They're one of the only food banks, they might be the only food bank in Canada that self-funds. And they have so much purchasing power that they buy and send food to supply breakfast programs, community programs, seniors activities, school lunches, snacks for boys and girls clubs throughout the Kootenays. Like they send food to Kimberley, to Cranbrook, Crawford Bay, Fruitvale. They even send food to some places in Alberta. Did you know that? They have three full-time staff, three volunteer staff, 100 volunteers. And Gleaners make so much money through Gleaners and Friends that in 2017, they gave over $120,000 to fund programs in the Creston Valley. And they gave an additional $40,000 to fund low-income housing that's being built. Do you know how Gleaners got started? 
1984, there were three women in Creston who were trying to find a way to feed people who they knew were going without food. There was no food bank here in 1984, and they didn't have enough money to just buy the food that people needed. So they started collecting used items, clothing, household goods, knickknacks, in a bedroom in one of their homes and selling them like an ongoing rotating garage sale. And they used the money to buy food and give it to people who were in need. Look at that seed in your hand. Think about $120,000 supporting programs in the Creston Valley and $40,000 going into low-income housing on top of all of the food that gets given away every single week. Think about three women sorting used clothing and old dishes in someone's spare bedroom. This parable is not really about how big and powerful and glorious the kingdom of heaven's going to be. The people who were listening to Jesus, they already knew that. They knew that the kingdom was going to be great. That's what they expected. That's what they were looking for. This parable is about how small the beginning is. How insignificant the beginning seems. And it's about how utterly and absolutely and unbreakably connected these two things are, the tiny seed and the glorious tree. You cannot separate those two. When Jesus is walking around on earth, telling stories, touching lepers, talking to women, eating with outcasts, healing sick people, everything looked small. It didn't look at all like a kingdom that was being established. Look at that seed in your hand. There is a long time and lots of long times when the kingdom of heaven can seem oh so small and insignificant. When you wonder, is it even really real? Is anything happening? You wonder if giving your life to the kingdom of heaven, is making any difference. I have been wondering that. Because a young man who was in the very first small group I ever led when I was a youth leader, I was 18 years old, and I think he was 12. (laughs) And my very first small group, and um, he has stage 4 lung cancer in his 30s. And one of my dearest friends has this terrible recurring type of cancer that means he likely only has five or ten years left to live. And as the tumors keep growing over the course of that time, the plan is they'll just keep cutting out parts of his lungs until eventually there's nothing left to cut out. And his boys are three years old and five months. And a friend who I used to work with lost his battle with depression last month and committed suicide. And he has four stepchildren and a one-year-old son. And so as I have been holding those things 
before God lately, which pretty often looks like angry crying while I'm weeding the garden uh, rather than serene prayer, um, I keep wondering, what am I doing with my life? Right? Does anything I'm doing right now really matter? And listen, I really want you to know, I really want you to know, I love you. I do. But when you're considering people who have loved God and given their life to serve him, losing their lives, you wonder, I wonder, does pastoring a small country church make a difference in the grand scheme of things? Should I be overseas? Should I be starting a nonprofit? What should I be doing? And so on Thursday, <laughs> while I was writing, I got out this little pot of mustard seeds. I, you, I can't tip it to show you. They'll fall out. Um, I have kept this since 2009 when I first taught about this passage at a retreat. And I sat at my desk just weeping because of the glorious promise and assurance that this seed holds. Every single expression of the kingdom of heaven starts small. There are no exceptions to that. Every single one. The kingdom is guaranteed to grow. That's a promise. But just like a mustard seed or a dandelion, it takes time. And it starts very, very small. It's so easy to be discouraged by small things, isn't it? We're really taken with big and flashy. But I'm telling you, actually Jesus is telling you, if you want your garden to have a tree that can shelter a flock of birds, you better plant a mustard seed. One of the questions we sometimes ask when we're studying that parable is, what do all of the different elements in the story represent? What is the garden? What is the seed? What are the birds? Well, the seed, of course, is the kingdom itself, right? The truth about who God is and what he's doing, his power, his trustworthiness, his ultimate plan to reconcile all things in the cosmos to himself. but just like a teeny tiny seed of all that. And I think the garden can be understood on, a multiple, on multiple levels. In Jesus' day, the seed of the kingdom of heaven sent shockwaves through the religious system. It overturned it completely. It changed forever the way Jews and Gentiles, men and women, masters and slaves, related to God and to each other. May it be so in our political and religious divisions today. And the seed of the kingdom of heaven can have a massive impact on an entire community, the way Gleaners has done in Creston and throughout the Kootenays. Right? Food is going further and further out to those who need it. May it be so in other areas of need like housing, and shelter systems and income support that still plague our valley. And finally, the kingdom of the seed of the kingdom of heaven can cause irrevocable change in an individual life 
When I preached on this story in 2009, about 150 students heard me compare um, all of their plans that they had for their lives. They're in college. They have lots of plans to nice, neat rows of carrots in a garden. And I asked them to think about sowing a mustard seed in there. Wreck the carrots. Just wreck the carrot rows forever and see what God would do in the garden instead. And my friend Robin reminded me last week, and I'd actually forgotten this, that about a dozen of those 150 students went into full-time ministry, and some of them, like Robin, can trace their call to that Saturday night retreat talk. Hundreds of students were introduced to Jesus through them. May it be so among us this morning. May there be people here among you who sow seeds in the garden of their lives that ruin their plants and grow glorious kingdom trees to shelter birds we haven't even met yet. Look at that seed in your hand. Everything starts so small. How are we going to apply this? Well, first of all, the first thing is, do a small thing. Seriously, what is on your heart? What makes you come alive? What do you worry about? Do something. Start something. Try something. Just like those ladies who were selling used clothing. Try. Volunteer. Reach out to someone. Run for city council. I don't know if that's small. Take an interest in a kid's life. Give someone a gift. Visit a senior. Offer to help. You do not know what kind of difference a small act can make. You cannot ever tell what the long-term impact might be. The only thing, the only thing you know for sure is that a mustard seed always grows. Second, practice seeing small things for what they are. This is the one that I'm going to take to heart. I put, well, they're here right now, but I put these mustard seeds out on my desk um, to keep them front and center so that I remember how important, how much potential there is in every single encounter as I move through my day, every meeting, every Bible study, every person who drops by to chat, every invitation into someone's life is precious. It's an opportunity always to plant a seed. Finally, if it seems to you like since you met Jesus, your life has been taking a different path than you thought you'd planned, be encouraged. Let that mustard seed grow in your garden. Let the rows of carrots be forever ruined. Let an enormous tree grow up, wild and glorious, in their place, giving shelter to those who need it. Because that is exactly how it's supposed to be. Let me pray for us.
Jesus, I am so humbled by the work that you did, by the things that you began, by the way that you chose to bring the kingdom of heaven among us. Through small relationships, teaching, talking, helping, you planted this thing deep in us, and it is amazing what it's done since then. And so this morning, I pray for us that we would be ready for that to happen in our lives. I pray that the mustard seed of the kingdom of heaven, the dandelion, (laughs) would fly out and land and take root and grow, and that we would see something happen in us that we never dreamed possible. Give us the faith to stick with it when it starts to uproot and turn over the carrots. Give us the faith to surrender our plans, our neat and tidy lives to you so that we can grow the thing you want us to grow. May it be so among us this morning. Amen. It is really nice to have you here. Thank you for worshiping with us. We're going to move to the back and have a time of coffee. And so if a few people would help us move some chairs back over to the side, that'll be great. And we're very glad to celebrate there with you.